1: This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez.
0: I'm Tabidi Onyabule. And I'm Ben Brophy. All
1: right, so this is an unusual episode. It's kind of like when an expositional preacher says, I'm going topical today.
0: <laughs>
1: um, we don't, you know, we don't do it that often.
0: I feel but, attacked.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, I know. That was a little, 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 little subtweet if you wasn't it, Thabiti? Um, But uh, depending on your preferences, my, my, my point is that, like, are, the way we normally do our episodes is it shouldn't matter what day you hear them. Uh, And they should, they're really not usually attached that much to current events. We make some references, but today we are deliberately planning to release this episode the day before the election on election Eve, as it were. Um, And just to kind of sum up some of the things we've seen or heard from the campaign. Um, And we were just reflecting before we started recording that, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of most voters, those who don't, necessarily make a big thing about politics in their lives, and they vote because they know they should, but it's not a thing that occupies your mind um, in the four intervening years. You know, A lot of how we as voters pay attention to an election is we we sort of try to follow the news in the months leading up to the, um, the day of, and we try to use that news to figure out what we should do. And so what we thought we might do is we might say, what have been the big things that have happened in the last few months leading up to now? that we think have bearing on, um, that we might as voters think have bearing on our choice of candidate. Um, and things that might um, be applications of some of the things we've said in the past about how one votes. Um, so that's how I thought we'd frame today. Um, and you know, one thing I thought I'd start with was just to say, like, what are some of those events? I'll, I'll, I'll list a couple of them, but then we can just sort of talk about any of them we care to or don't care to um the three that stand out in my mind are there were three presidential debates um they were all very different actually right like the first one was a lot of people just on all sides did not like watching that first one because there was just a lot of interrupting there was a lot of back and forth there was a lot of name calling um you know probably on on the sort of trump side of things the big news was that you know he kind of you know, told the Proud Boys, this white supremacist group, to stand back and stand by. Some saw that as sort of winking um, at a white supremacist group, refusing to condemn them. And then when asked about election integrity, it's not that he didn't, it's not that he (laughs) sort of said, I want to steal the election. It was more that he just wasn't going to say reassuring things about, you know, respecting the results of the election. That was debate one. Debate two was much more calm. It was our vice presidential candidates, um, Big moment there, I remember just with Mike Pence pressing Kamala Harris about court packing. And on the other hand, the moderator asking Pence, what would you do if Roe v. Wade were overturned in the state of Indiana? And I don't think this was intentional, but him actually not answering the question directly, Um, not simply saying, well, yeah, I'd ban abortion, which is sort of what I expected him to say. Um, And then there was the debate that didn't happen because the president got coronavirus and Sort of insisted it be in person. The commission said, "Let's make it virtual," Um, and um, you know, sort of because they couldn't come to agreement, the debate was canceled. And then there was the last debate, which was a pretty normal debate by sort of those standards. Um, Probably the biggest uh, thing in that one was you know, sort of Trump pressing Biden about his stance on energy uh, and fracking, um, and you know how aggressive he wanted to be on the so-called transition to clean energy. COVID came up in all three of these debates, as you can imagine. It was a, it was a headline issue for every single one of them. And, and actually the debate felt pretty much the same in all three of them. Second big thing, I guess I'll note, which I'll describe at less length, was just that episode you know, a few weeks ago where the president contracted coronavirus and all the sort of, there were questions raised around that of, how did it happen? <laughs> like, were they taking appropriate measures? Are they being forthcoming about when he got the virus and when he knew and what he was doing when he knew and so on and so forth? And then there was the sort of getting him going to the hospital, getting better, sort of coming out saying a a version of sort of, I've beaten the virus, you can't let it dominate your life um, and so on and so forth. Um, And then the third thing which just happened this week was the uh, confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court and just the sort of very, very bitter debate over that. Um, She was confirmed, she's now the ninth justice on the Supreme Court Um, and um, arguments made both about what she would do on the bench how she would rule both on election stuff and on healthcare stuff and on abortion stuff. Um, and then arguments about just the process by which she was she was nominated and confirmed and whether that was okay or not. Um, so those, those stand out in my mind as the big events. Are there other events I've missed that sort of stood out to you in these last couple months that have mattered a lot in sort of leading up to the election?
2: Not in terms of um the sort of national uh, news and the kinds of things you were citing there. But at least in terms of evangelical church circles, oh, I yeah. think there's been an interesting exchange of articles and posts between John Piper and mm. um, not Wayne Grudem, Wayne may have written one as well, but um, yeah, Wayne Grudem uh, and a couple of others sort of weighing in on this question of character again, mm. and the effect of character on on the country. Um, And so insofar as we're talking about things that Christians might have taken note of that might be going with them to the to the election booth, Um, I think, at least in terms of sort of conservative reform, evangelical circles. um, That was something that I think hit a lot of people as as surprising uh, or disappointing or really great um, and um, caused a little bit of a stir. So,
1: yes, yes. We've talked a little bit about that on prior episodes. Is there anything in particular that stood out to you to be is like things Wayne said or things Piper said that you thought were most important to remember?
2: I've not read Grudem's response, um, but I think what, what struck me in Piper's post was as, as John would, would want to be, he was trying to be very careful and biblical and precise in his language yeah. uh, and demonstrating, uh, I think two things. One, his um, sort of uncertainty about how it is other people could be so certain <laughs> that you know this candidate, candidate A, um, if elected, would have you know fewer negative consequences than candidate B. Um, and then the, the second thing was just his sort of trying to show from scripture that actually um, you know the character of leaders. Um, over, over countries has tremendous um, spoiling effect, um, ruinous effect uh, on countries and and that the sort of minimizing of the character issues. Uh, and I think he was particularly aiming at, at President Trump um, as somehow, you know, uh, a lesser concern mm. than say the policy issues, um, which, which we know he feels a great deal about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 sort of minimizing was really mistaken. And uh and so I, I I I thought he made his case. I thought it was I thought it was an interesting
0: an interesting case.
1: Yeah. Ben, anything you'd add?
0: Um yeah, I mean I think the the argument I heard from like pushback I heard from certain evangelicals on Piper's article was um, one like um yeah, moral character. I mean, one argument was, you know, I'd rather have Joe Biden as a neighbor, but I'm not voting for my neighbor. I'm voting for the office of the presidency, which that struck me as a little funny. Like, why, why would you have a lower <laughs> moral bar for the presidency than your your neighbor? I, I think, too, um, on Twitter, I think Andrew Walker, who's a professor at Southern and talks about these issues a lot, uh, disagreed with Piper because he said, I think his argument, he, if he's, I don't know if he listens, but if he does, I'm sorry if I botched it. I think his argument was Piper has a, has a point, yet you know, policy I don't know if you want to call them sins, but policy sins can have um, a more obvious and destructive impact than, than moral failings um so like his distinction was some sins are going to impact the people more than Mm -hmm. others um so i it was an interest it was interesting to watch all of that i i I agree with the i thought i thought piper made his case well and i don't want to speak for john piper i i just read that article and walked away from it well never mind i won't i'll stop there i thought it was a good article
2: Oh, you were about to get interesting, Ben.
0: <laughs> oh boy. Well, I was gonna—I was going to say what I think, reading the tea leaves, what that means he's going to do in the ballot box. But that's speculation and probably okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. fair enough. And, yeah. And, and 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 to be honest, right? I think someone like him or someone like any evangelical any evangelator who's got their kind of compass on straight would be horrified at the idea that we're trying to literally mirror that person's vote. Yeah. versus like understand the principles they're teaching and try to apply those principles. Yeah, even right. if it, Even if it makes means that we come to a different conclusion.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, um, all right. So my broad question here is events, 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 these events of recent months, are there any of them that, what have they taught us if anything um, about some of the issues we've been talking about in these recent episodes? Um, what information have they given us that might be important?
0: really quickly the one that we haven't mentioned mm. uh which is making the rounds particularly in conservative circles is the the hubbub about hunter biden
1: i'm sorry yes there's my liberal bias at work right if there you
0: want to give a brief overview of that
1: oh i i might struggle to do this but basically <laughs> so so ben please fill in the details um Uh, The president, I mean, uh, Biden's son, Hunter, um, is by everyone's account, probably including his own, a person who's had a a tough, a troubled life, um, including addiction, including challenges. Um, He's had some, you know, I think anyone would sort of say shady business dealings um, outside the country in Eastern Europe and elsewhere. Um, And a lot of what that's come back around to has been sort of a, a, I think the, the narrative on the right has been, well, You know, the apple, it's not even the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. They're not making that claim. They're saying whatever Hunter was mixed up in, you know, Joe, the father was also mixed up in, and he's he's corrupt. He's more corrupt. Um, and a few, something like a week ago, right. They, they sort of found a laptop with some emails (laughs) that showed sort of electronic communication in exchange between Hunter and Joe. And they're sort of saying, well, this proves a lot of corruption. But I I guess what I'd say is I haven't looked that deeply into it, but my understanding is, again, most of what we know in the established narrative establishes that Hunter himself has had a troubled life and not done great things in some cases. But most of the exchanges with Joe are a father comforting his son and or supporting his son without himself engaging in the son's same behavior. That's my read of it. But Ben, when you.
0: you So there's a, there's a, a witness a uh, guy who worked with Hunter and and with the Bidens, whose name I forget.
1: Tony Bobolinski.
0: Yeah, and so he he uh, <laughs> no, let's try to take that Bob.
1: seriously, even though the I name, mean he's
0: got yeah. he's got a name that just sounds like it belongs <laughs> to the stomach, and that's, Uh And so he he is making the claim that the vice president was directly tied to to essentially. Money for access, and knew about it, and approved about it, which approved of it, um, which would mean he's lied about it on the campaign trail. I, I cannot <laughs> confirm or deny any of that. Um, I yeah. I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't truly know.
1: They found a guy who's fallen out with Hunter, who is willing to t- say and hold a press conference to say those things. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 So I don't know if, I I don't know that that is going to change anybody's mind. I think the thing that more thoughtful conservatives, I think what alarms them is the complete, like, blank lack of coverage from any outlet other than Fox and then Twitter and Facebook. Not allowing the post to be shared at all. Mm-hmm. So I think that has actually created a larger response from conservative folks than the yeah. issues of of Hunter and the vice president themselves. Um, so there's this right now. What I see is like a lot of kind of fear mongering on you know big tech, whatever that is. Um, so that uh, that's and out I, there. And I think
1: depending on where you stand, right, that is either a left wing conspiracy to suppress bad news about the Democratic nominee, right, on the one hand. Or on the other hand, it could be, you know, reputable news organizations trying to parse fact from fiction and saying it would be irresponsible to print a conspiracy theory, right? I mean, that's effectively the line Twitter
0: took. Right, Uh, but what conservatives will kick and scream about is like the Steele dossier was no more firm. In fact, in some ways, a lot less firm than what we have. That's what they'll say than what we have now. And they're like, that was covered ad nauseum um, and this is not, and so I think that would be the—that's what the kicking and screaming is about.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but we now—I mean, maybe again, it's a slower moving story, but we now know the steel dossier to be pretty flimsy, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I in my news yeah. ecosystem, yeah. right, accept that just as much as anyone else, right? Like, I don't know, maybe they didn't get to the answer fast enough, but they did get there,
0: right. Um, I it's think, hard right, yeah I think I think the complaint is major news networks ran with that stuff for a long time, and now the shoe's a little bit on the other foot, like yeah, all of this stuff is flimsy, at least from what I can tell, and it's it's there's crickets on this, so I think that they're they're saying, Oh look, the media's biased, Yeah. yeah. so I think that's actually more of a stir than the the actual issue itself, um which makes you wonder. If Twitter at all had just kind of like let it go, mm. would would this be dead already? That's kind of you know what is it the Barbara Streisand effect? Like you know you you don't you, you the censoring is worse than the actual story. Yeah, sure. Uh, anyway. Sure, 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 absolutely. I'm, I'm just
2: impressed with a Barbara Streisand reference. Man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well <done>. Indeed. Indeed.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Um, oh yeah. That that by the way, I mean. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that's right. It's, it's, um, but it's hard, right? Like when is, is something that comes out, is it disinformation that needs to be disproven by if you're a reputable news outlet, is it your duty to disprove disinformation or to whatever, not give it oxygen as fast as possible? Or is it to, um, you know, do you like, what, what, what do you do in order to kind of understand quickly understand like, is it true or not? And like, how can I say whether it's true or not without myself appearing biased?
0: I think if you can prove it's disinformation, you should do that. But I don't think that they can, uh, at least not yet. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. I'm not a journalist. I didn't go to J school. I <laughs> yeah. no clue. Um, I, I think what conservatives will scream about is there these things are not approached in the same way depending on which party you belong to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let me add. Go ahead.
2: I find all of that distressing and sad. I, I just think the, the, the crisis around communication, information, journalism, knowledge, um, I find it distressing. Um, not, not, that, not because I have some Pollyanna view that there was some golden age where everybody told the truth and reported the truth and journalists always got it right. But I think at the speed at which social media uh, spreads information, with, without sort of any kind of safeguards and checking, um, on the one hand, that's that's kind of yeah, that's alarming. Uh, and I and I do think we have a country and, and a Christian church that's largely taken up with conspiracy theories um, in in an unhealthy way. But I don't know that the response to that is a kind of c- censorship by social media companies. Um, you know so it it just feels like a rock in a hard place in terms of yeah. what do you do to regain some semblance of information integrity um and and communication integrity about what's what's real what 's knowable what's what's actual um that's just really that's just really distressing for me yeah
0: yeah I, I, those are all really good points. It is whole a whole
1: very- other episode actually on information media and how we understand what truth is. We did one on epistemology, but this is a bit more like, that's what this is.
0: Yeah, It's it's tough. The volume of information that's out there at all times is, is yeah, it's overwhelming. It's really hard. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it would be great if that were the only problem. It's just (laughs) the volume of information, but it was all good information. You know, then we're just dealing with the complexity of the world, but, um, when it when it's shot through with so much that's Mm. that's false that's manufactured that's spun in in egregious ways sometimes and and in in clever subtle ways sometimes Mm. it's just kind of hard it's hard to know it's hard to be a intelligent consumer of information much less make intelligent decisions about what to do in terms of what we're talking about right now in terms of voting
1: well let's take a break and when we come back we are going to try um, in terms of what, how we interpret these events. Um, so back to my question before events of the last couple months, have they taught us anything that apply to some of the issues that we've talked about over these last, over this last season?
0: I will speak briefly. Uh, Nothing that has happened in the past few months changes my calculation on voting. I think, yeah. Um, I think for me, again, using the two buckets of character and policy, like those are my two. I know you guys have different buckets or more buckets, but those are kind of my two. Um, Those are revealed over time. And for Vice President Biden, we have 30 years of... um, service there to look at for the president we have you know four years of you know the presidency to evaluate and so something pretty extreme would have to happen late for me to overturn all that data on both of these guys um uh and yeah and uh as for the third party candidates you know, one of, one of them would have to, something would have to really change um, either in platform or in their capacity to win uh, to, right. to really shake my calculation there. So I, I am hesitant to, yeah, I, I want to avoid the trap of falling into recency bias. Um, so it, it would have to be pretty extreme, something pretty wild would have to happen for me to, to overturn previous calculations because I don't trust, my own ability to sort through this stuff quickly. Um,
1: yeah. Yep. Any thoughts from you?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm. I think my answer is two parts. Um, one is, if you're asking me right now, has anything happened that has changed my calculus? Answer is no. Mm-hmm. If you're asking me, what am I going to do? You know, do I know what I'm going to do heading to the polls? then I have to tell you the story of 2016. Um, You know, the entire election season, I was arguing um, vote Clinton because I thought uh, Trump was the existential threat to the country um, and and would um, damage the country in ways that so unconventional and so unhelpful that we we wouldn't understand them, we wouldn't be able to protect against them, and would take us generations to reverse. Mm. I I don't think I was wrong about that. so I'm making this argument all of twenty sixteen, I'm walking to the polling booth with my wife and my daughters, my daughter's first time to vote. And then go up the hill, walking up this little hill from our house to the polling station, and I could not shake the email scandal. Mm-hmm. Right? Going into the polling station, um, the Clinton email scandal and the servers and all that business. And so when I got in the booth, I I voted for, uh, what's his name, McMullen? McMuffin, sorry. McMuffin. (laughs) Kevin McMullen, I'm sorry. Voted for McMullen. Um, Only to find out later, sort of all the stuff that we found out later about, um, you know, election interference and disinformation and and all that good stuff. Um, So I just say that to say, yeah, I'm as vulnerable to bad information or partial information or what have you uh, as I assume most every other voter is, um, who, whose work is not this stuff, and um, while I feel like my basic calculus is set, um, yeah, I, I don't. I, that left me with a kind of uncertainty that I I don't think I'd ever had as a voter before, um, and and again, this is why earlier I'm saying I feel a certain kind of distress at the sort of information environment that we're in because it it. It makes me less certain in unhealthy ways. Uh it would be fine to be less certain because I'm I'm weighing solid information that's pro and con about folks. But um a lot of what we're trying to do is sift through noise and falsehood and um spin. And, and that's that's that doesn't feel healthy to me. So
0: yeah. yeah.
1: So I'll say, I'll say a couple things here. I think I would agree with you that like, Ben, your point about recency bias is a really good one, right? If you're switched on about politics or if you're trying to understand, you should think about your understanding over the long term of campaigns just to campaign, right? And it's the time when sort of candidates are trying to woo you, they're trying to say what they think you want to hear in order to win your vote. And it's the time when they're most susceptible to lie to you, actually. Um, you know, uh, so I, I do think that's a really that's a point worth keeping in mind. Um, I think some of these events, more, more than anything else, they just sort of put an accent on things we already knew, right? A lot of them sort of reinforced things we already knew. So if you think about the stuff in the debates and sort of the president thinking, hey, you know what, I'm just gonna interrupt Biden a lot, <laughs> um, which was sort of w- w- what made the first debate so challenging. Um, that's one thing, just sort of a sense of like, you know, disdain, anger. Um, it went both ways, but I think it's fair to say that the, the sort of president was the, was the instigator of at least the, the tone <laughs> that evening. Um, the thing about the Pride Boys was disturbing. Um, like, like Cause it was worse than like, I don't know who these people are, which he sometimes does. So just really, the whole stand back and standby thing was like truly frightening. Um, I think in terms of sort of, there's a long history of kind of winking and nodding at racism. Veiled symbols, others like, and it's always you come back and you go, oh, you're being silly for saying that. That's that's literally what they tell you afterwards. How 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 could you that was just a harmless something or other, right? Um, so that was that was tough. And then the election integrity point, I thought was, I mean, again, you know, there's a there's just a whole thing here around so much of democracy rests on our ability to kind of accept losing, right? Whoever you are, and I think that's all a challenge.
0: Um, uh, the, the one thing that, uh, the one thing I want to make a plug for, to, to VD's point, um, so because of the pandemic for, for us in D.C., like I got a ballot in the mail um, and was able to, I, I spent three days looking through it slowly, looking pe- looking at people's platforms. Uh, there's a real dearth of candidates for D.C. offices that I love, uh, <laughs> but um yeah, I got to get a good sense of everybody, um, and I—I I don't know. I mean, I found it very useful to have more than the f- ten minutes I'm in the booth to think yeah. about who I'm voting for. And so I—I I, I assume I'm a highly—I'm re- more highly engaged in politics than the normal person. But when you walk into the booth and you see that slew of local candidates, I don't know who they are, for the most sure. part. So. Yeah having the time to kind of sit with my ballot, I found really helpful. Uh, I'm sure there's people who are going to kick and scream about whatever. Um, you know, there's people tend to be on the right. They don't, they don't like mail-in ballots and things of that sort. Um, but for me personally, I, I really enjoyed the experience. It was no pressure and got to make an informed choice on, on some of those less, yeah. what we would call less important, but honestly are going to affect your day-to-day life a lot more. Sure. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think, I mean, there's a whole other, we, we did not dive into the, the specifics of election integrity. Although I will say one PSA here, we were just talking about this before we started recording, right? Is that
0: um, there are
1: people saying like, hey, let's not, do you want me to say that again, Ben?
0: No, no, no. My Somebody, somebody called, I let's don't know what. You know, there are
1: people. There are people saying, um "Let's not." um Yeah. You know, basically, the, the the sort of background underneath is that elections, when they're called, as we've seen them, are almost just pro- almost just projected by news organizations. They are not officially certified until lots of votes are counted, usually weeks later. Right when the last state is done counting, every state has its own procedures. And there's some funny business going on right now where a lot of ballots are being sent by mail because of the pandemic. A lot. Of systems are get, are doing massive vote by mail for the first time. A lot of them will take longer to count their results, and so we might not know who the winner is on election night.
0: Yep.
1: And it's funny. I don't think the president even knows <laughs> where when these trends will favor or not favor him. If I'm being perfectly honest, right? Like, because literally there are some states that count their mail ballots first and dump them on election night, and there are some. That only count their election day votes first and dump them on election night, and then the others take weeks afterwards to count. So literally, we have no idea how it's going to look. Yep. And there's a lot of patience we have to have yep. as we might not know everything on Tuesday night. And for for one reason or another, the president's allies have decided that having going with whatever count we have on election night might benefit them. So they're saying we should just force the counts to stop on election night. But just a PSA to everyone: that is actually never how it's worked. Never, right? My happened. home state of California always takes weeks to count its ballots,
0: right?
1: Um, has done so for a long time now. Uh, Ben's home state of Colorado is one of, was one of only five.
0: Oh, my wife. I'm sorry, I'm Ben's from, wife's home state. I'm there. from New Jersey, the greatest. Sorry, Ben,
1: sorry, sorry, the, sorry. Super right. clear. Is one of only five, but Colorado is one of only, was before the pandemic, one of five states that just did not only vote by mail, right, and takes time. So, So just if anyone's telling you, you know, that any of these methods of, voting are not valid or telling you that only the counts we have on on Tuesday are valid, those things are both wrong. Um, And I think that's quite important for us all to know, just in terms of like, as you're watching people fight over interpreting the results that come in on Tuesday. And
0: and to put it really simply, the news channels don't certify winners of of states. It's the official election board for each state that certifies the winner of their uh, electoral uh, votes. Um. So, so yeah. You, you we saw this in two thousand, right? Where people had to reverse calls and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um. And and yeah, the closer the race is, the longer we're probably going to have to wait. Um. And so, yeah, there's going to be, uh, yeah. We. This is not the most stable the country has been uh, in its history. And so, just if I can urge patience, that's what I will urge. Yeah.
2: I, I, amen to what both of you brothers have said. Um, I, I do think it's it's two things come to mind as I listen to you. Uh, one, in terms of election integrity, is keep in mind that in the twenty sixth campaign, he was running a similar song, um, just you know talking about the election being rigged and and things of, of that sort. So this is this is consistent form for the president. Only now it's more dangerous because he's he's in the presidency. He's the incumbent. Um, and And the second thing that that comes to mind for me again is just a reminder of how much we are a country of norms um and and how much his sort of undermining challenging overturning those norms, how much uh insecurity how much discomfort um, how much exposure of basic sort of ignorance of civics uh, gets gets revealed um, because of that and um you know, one thing that could be healthy in response to all of this is a, is a sort of rediscovery of norms and a re-cherishing of norms um, for what they provide in the way of uh, order and peace and, and sort of mutual understanding yeah. yeah.
1: No, I think that's definitely right. And um, I think going back to my point about why the debate, why that taught me something, it was sort of a, like, you want, a president of either party who's going to sort of play by the rules. Right. I think, and I think that was just an example of that, how, you know, he's saying, well, I'm pretty sure that, you know, if the ballots are counted on election night or what we have is stopped, that'll favor me. So that's what I'm going to say. And that is dangerous. That's dangerous from anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to note is that, so the, the whole president getting coronavirus thing, that event influenced me just in the sense that, I don't know, it just drew a line under this idea of, like, I actually have some sympathy for the argument. Like Mike Pence said this in the debate to Kamala Harris. He said, look at Joe Biden's plan for the coronavirus. There are these five things, test and trace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know something? I think you guys are plagiarizing, he said, basically, because that's very similar to what we've done. We've been doing this, right? And I, I'd be the first to say, it's not that the federal government has done nothing on the coronavirus, right? Like there's a lot they have done. Um, And so that event, the fact that the president got the virus, the fact that they initiated almost no contact tracing to protect sort of the staff around the president after that, that they were cagey about when he knew he had it, that you saw the event yourself. They lived this fantasy of a world in which no one had to wear masks or anything because they thought they were protected or immune um, when the rest of us cannot, don't have the luxury of doing that. Like all of that, just sends a terrible message and it tells you something about the way they treat this, what should be a nonpartisan public health threat. Um, so that again, that underscored something I think I already knew, but it reminded me, right? That even if on the substance, there are some people in the government that are doing the right things, you know, um, there's something there about role modeling and leadership that was just absent uh, that we just sort of saw again from that episode.
2: Yeah, well said. And, and you, you, get the, you get the president's family and staff in and around the West Wing. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, it, the, the virus made its rounds through the vice president's office and um, things of that sort. Uh, I think what concerned me, there were two things that concerned me about the president contracting uh, coronavirus. One was just his health, just praying for his health as a, as a human being. Uh, but secondly, just had this, this sort of fear, this sense that, okay, I think the way this is gonna play out is he's going to get the best healthcare care treatment in the world. He's going to make it through this. And then he's going to run the whole I'm strong card. Right. And we just <laughs> need to power through things. And so it, it just, it fits his shtick. Right. Uh, in a way that, again, it's just unhelpful messaging um, and modeling, as you put it, Nick, for, for the rest of the country. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I just thought, yeah. Ben, were you going to say something? No.
0: no i mean i think i I don't none of that yeah none of that changes i I think we've been saying for six months on this podcast that the message on coronavirus has been uh bad yeah uh and so uh, none of this again to to go to recency bias like these Mm -hmm. these folks have showed us who they are both from the president and from vice president biden there is a long record on both of them we we know, we have a good sense of how they're gonna handle things like this. Yeah.
1: But if you're a voter and you haven't had time to kind of look into well, what happened over the last seven or eight months, like that right there, what happened in that one week is a good microcosm of attitudes at the highest level of government towards the virus, I think. Um, all right, last one, the, this whole confirmation battle, Amy Coney Barrett, installing a ninth justice on the Supreme Court, any reactions to that, anything that, that maybe change your vote, didn't change your vote, just thought was interesting or important about the fact that that all went down in this last month?
2: I thought it was entirely predictable. Um, yeah. You know, in, in some ways that that was the, one of the president's core campaign pledges was to, you know, appoint particular sets of justices um, that, that that rallies and encourages the base. Um, I was not at all surprised that, that the GOP's Handling of the confirmation, sort of trying to move that through in, in rapid speed. Um, just as I wasn't surprised that when it was Obama in 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 the sort of end of his presidency nominating uh, Merrick Garland, uh, that they stonewalled it. Um, and yeah. so it was very very much politics as usual in that regard. From what I can tell about uh, Ms. Barrett, I, I I think you know she seems pretty stand up in many respects. Yeah. I, I, You know, most every respect that I heard, not just many respects, most every respect that I heard, she seemed really stand up. The, the one thing that concerned me was um, her replies to Cory Booker's questions about um, race and the law and, and, and uh, what her sort of uh, level of awareness and knowledge were uh, in that regard. I I found her, the, the video that I, at least that I saw, the clip that I saw, I found her response troubling and lacking to to that in terms of. Uh, indicating having much, much sort of knowledge and reading comprehension at all on that issue.
0: So, um, I mean, I, I think for me, uh, I don't, <laughs> I I, ha, I don't have any objections to Republicans um, nominating and confirming Amy Coney Barrett as a Supreme Court justice. Um you know, yes, Mitch McConnell is clearly hypocritical versus what he said in 2016. I mean, that's obvious. But again, like when George W. Bush wanted to put justices through, it was, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer who said, we're going to use the filibuster. And then when Democrats got in office, they said, we're going to take the filibuster away. And Mitch McConnell told Harry Reid, you're going to regret this. Uh and they do, and so I think, like, uh, yeah, I, I think we're we're now now, what has become the norm for court battles is whatever it takes to get your people through, and that's a bad place to be. i think I think all three of us would would say this is this is not good. I, however, am completely unsurprised that Republicans are, quote, fighting fire with fire, given the long history of yeah, knife fighting going back to Senator Bork in the late '80s, um, and, and yeah, you just you just can't. I'm just not surprised. I, I don't. It, it's bizarre to me that Democrats are upset about this when they they were in that body. They knew Schumer knew. They they knew what they were doing, and so I just the outrage from Democratic senators about the process is to me, I it does nothing. It moves me. It moves me not at all.
1: So I agree that it's all unsurprising. I agree that this is sort of the the, um, uh, the, um, the norm we're living in now. Um, and we've we've talked about the Supreme Court at length, so we won't sort of get all the way deep into that. This is just about the fact of the nomination. Um, and I think that I would I think um, and I would agree that um, you know now Justice Barrett does seem like you know a, a person of good character, good temperate, temperament, great intellect whatever someone's ideology, having someone like that in a life of public service is a good thing, right? And I, and I, and I think that's, that. I just would say that. Um, I, my only question, and I actually would tell you, I don't, it, it's a half reservation because I think everyone who faces this choice um, probably agonizes over it is like getting nominated by this president in these circumstances through these processes, saying yes to that, right? Like I do think that, you know, it's sort of a, kind of a fruit of a poisoned tree sort of argument. Something that everyone who's ever had to serve for th- this president who has any qualms about him would have had to deal with or think about. Um, and um, so that'd be my one question. Um,
2: and your question is, what, does it taint her or does it raise questions about her judgment? What, what's your question? A
1: little bit, yeah, a little It's a half reservation, like I said, right? Because I, I recognize that it's a tough call, right? You might just say, look, I you know I'm going to be a justice I'm going to have my independence I'll serve for life and that'll be fine but I do still want I do still think nonetheless like if it were me if I were that person how would I feel about accepting an appointment like that under these circumstances
0: I mean yeah. I think I think if you want to be a public servant and look I mean I assume everybody who's going wants to be a supreme court justice is brilliant driven and and assuming the best wants to serve the public um you put those three things together they're not saying no um sure you know I, yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Well, can I, I, can.
1: yeah questions whether they should
0: <laughs> well
2: no I, I, speaking specifically about the court i'm not sure they should say no right so so if a person's jurisprudence if a person's Uh, background qualifications have gotten you to the point where you're kind of considered for the court. The court feels to me like a different appointment than, say, the cabinet of the president, right, where you're going to be executing the the president's agenda um, directly. If you've got qualms of conscience about, you know, whoever the president is, and you're going to be holding a cabinet post, and you're going to be charged with sort of, you know, executing that agenda that you, you have conscience problems with, that's a different category to me than a lifetime appointment with great independence, uh, whose agenda is not set by the president strictly, but, um, you know, is set by any number of things that sort of may make their way to the court. Um, that feels different to me. Um, it, it doesn't eliminate entirely the cloud you're talking about, Nick, but, um, I, I, I have, I think I have more empathy, more sympathy for someone who says, I, you know, this, you know, president is not great in this or that way, but this is kind of what I've been giving my life to, and it's it's mm-hmm. sort of a circumstance where I can do this in my own integrity, yeah. uh, rather than have to be responsive to the president as my boss. Well,
1: and if not me, and if all people like me make the same argument, then what you're yeah. going to be left with is a yeah, right. very good person on the Supreme Court. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, all that to say, uh, not sure that it changed my vote. Or my sort of calculus. It was just—it was an interesting thing to be happening this close to to election day. Uh, it did, Brett, definitely raise the profile. Um, I will say this, and Ben, you're not, you you—you've talked about this before. Um, those for whom the single issue of overturning Roe v. Wade motivates you—if this court won't do it, no court will. So you might think about other priorities in voting in this election, right? Like it is finished. That piece of it's done. Um, and so, I mean, that is one, one
0: idle thought I have.
2: I'd love to hear Ben's thought on this because Ben was saying, Hey, the court is a wrap, you know, a few episodes yeah, back. We yeah, yeah. he, he was seeing that <laughs> as a lost cause, but how, how do you respond to
0: that? I mean, I still think, I still think it is. I, I would be surprised if Roe v. Wade is completely overturned by the Supreme court. I, I would be surprised. Um, I don't think Roberts is going to vote for that. Um, yeah. I think Gorsuch finds himself into weird, obscure arguments, um, though. So he, who knows? Um, yeah, I think so this is the thing where you're reading the tea leaves, and that's that's almost. It depends on the circumstances of the case. Depends on the case that they get, how good it is. Um, you know, whether the petitioners are actually challenging Roe v. Wade, which is something they didn't do last time. Um, so who knows? I, I mean. I've, the rumor is is that Kavanaugh has been urging the court not to take up abortion cases because he just he doesn't want to put his finger on the scale right now on that stuff. I, I don't know. Who knows? Um, do I think do I think this court is more inclined to support restrictions on abortion or or more importantly uh, uphold state restrictions? Yeah, probably. Um, now, I still think. I still think the pro-life movement would be wise to consider pivoting to other, to other avenues, right? Like we, to Nick's point, we're never, I don't think we're going to see a greater conservative majority than six, three potentially in, in the court. So, so yeah, I mean, if you want to declare victory, sure. I'm unconvinced that it's victory. um, Well, that's
1: my point is that it is, it is, to the extent that it is even possible, all yeah. the conditions are in place now. Yeah, it's not clear that a seventh conservative justice wouldn't yeah. change that. <laughs>
0: like, it, it, it most likely wouldn't make a difference if you have seven or six, or or five or six or whatever. Uh, so, uh, that being said, there were still six hundred thousand abortions last year. There's still ta- there's still tax dollars going to Planned Parenthood every year. Like, this is this is stuff that the I mean funding for Planned Parenthood has gone up over the past four years under the Trump administration. Now, yeah, now I think that's largely because they did things by CR and it's just same as last year plus a few percent. I don't know, I haven't checked into it. I do know that that's that's true. Um, So all these things, like there's other policy angles to it, but also at the same time, like how much money have we sunk into the pro-life cause at the political level? We can take that money and fund adoption. I would love to see Christians get creative about how we're going to spend these tens of millions of dollars mm. other than political campaigns. So I'm, I'm still in the same ish place. I did not expect justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg to pass away. Um, but either way, the, the court is, the, the court is as pro-life um, air quotes around that, as, as it's going to get um, pro- I guess I would, a better way to say it is anti-abortion. Hard to, hard to say where they stand on other life things. Um, but anyway, that was a long soliloquy on that stuff. Um, I, I saw, yeah, I just, bottom line, the pro-life movement has to get creative. Um, because at the end, even if we roll back Roe v. Wade, there will be states that uphold abortion. So, okay, what do we do about New York? New York is radically pro-abortion. We've got to find non-governmental ways to incentivize not having abortions um there may be incentives you can do through tax policy or whatever nick has talked about those but you know free market man like we we, there's other avenues
1: it's not just that right and i think this is an important thing for people to think about as they those of us who haven't yet voted as we go in on tuesday if I've had a, I've gotten a couple emails you guys probably have two, about people. like, well, What about abortion? They weren't saying what about abortion in a kind of how dare you sort of way. It was literally I'm struggling with this. What do I do right And I think, Ben, you're highlighting some of the important things around how I'm not telling you like Joe Biden is going to be your champion on this. I'm just telling you that more of the same from the movement that brought you Donald Trump isn't going to get you much further than you've gotten now. And so, what's needed is like something different altogether. You got you, you, you've got your pro life court. There are other avenues you got to seek. Donald Trump, like Joe Biden, might not be the guy for you on that, but neither is Donald Trump, and neither are the folks supporting Donald Trump.
0: You're saying um, neither is Donald Trump because there's nothing more he can do.
1: Um, and also because so I mean, I'll take a slightly more radical view here, right? Which is, like, I think the next hurdle in the pro-life movement is the fact that pro is the fact that abortion is consistently depending on who you poll a like 40 60 to 60 40 issue right like we're basically somewhere in that range you 55 45 45 55 like it's it's been that way for decades now right and as i said on a prior podcast the reason we don't have slavery in this country is not because of the 13th amendment it's because whatever 95 to 100 percent of americans are against slavery like no, seriously, right? Like otherwise, there would be a subversive movement among the forty-five percent who think slavery is a great idea, to make, to find ways to make it happen. Uh,
2: um, I, would just, I would just tweak that a little bit. I would say the reason we don't have debates about slavery hmm. is that I mean, we 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 abolished slavery not because we had a ninety percent majority who yes. said it was wrong, right? We fought a civil war over it. Um, and I mean, so the reason
1: that gain has stuck is what I guess what yeah. I'm saying, right? Like so. After the Civil War, opinion divided, but opinion moved in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and now we have a stable consensus that says, well, yeah, we're never going back to that. just need that, that sort of stable consensus.
2: The 200 year consensus though, uh, building building that consensus, right? So we went, we went to Jim Crow, we, we went to counter reconstruction to Jim yep. Crow and a whole bunch of other things. So it's, it's a consensus about slavery yep. that took 200 years to build. That feels, in many respects, like okay. It's nobody's trying to go back there now, yeah. um, but I, I and I think I'm I think I'm I, I want to sort of come to agree with your point, though, Nick, because I'm, I'm like today years old when it occurs to me that most of the folks who are who are anti-abortion are are pro-state rights, and so ending Roe in a sort of states' rights kind of perspective doesn't in effect end Roe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it pushes it back to the states. Um, states make those decisions. We could, we could reasonably anticipate that that's going to be an uneven set of decisions um, in terms of how that gets enforced. Um, and, and this is where I think um, my friend at, at, at CareNet um, raises raises this question really powerfully. He says, you know, what does a win look like? Mm. A win cannot look like simply overturning Roe. Um, because it's, it's going to, it's going to, yeah, it's just, it's just not a win, right? Um, we, we've got to have a win as Christians that conceptualizes something larger, uh, what, what he would call pro abundant life that, that, that includes supports to women who are in fragile situations that, uh, are, are, thinking about these life decisions, that includes the involvement of fathers and and the promotion of marriage. That includes a whole number of things that um, would then have to be figured out in a hurry, to Ben's point, if Roe were overturned and went to the states and, and should be being figured out now, uh, even if Roe is not overturned, um, to try and put a dent in that 600,000 figure. Yep. Um, because we could be chipping away at this issue um, even with the laws where they are currently.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly right. Um, that's exactly right, well said. I think the other thing I would say is like, all th- everything we've talked about here is pragmatics. These are, practical, these are practical matters. I think, of course, we want laws that are just. So we want the laws on the books to say, killing a, a baby in the womb is, is wrong and that's murder. We are, so all things being equal, if, if I was king, like I'm, I'm waving that magic wand and saying, the law will now reflect the rea- this reality. But I, because I, I just don't want, I just know how we, how, be, how we can be misinterpreted. So I just want to clarify, this is a matter of pragmatics. Um, we do want the laws to reflect justice. However, in this fallen world, uh, I think we do we need to take the wins that we can get. Um, anyway.
1: But I also think it's about the both end, right? Like, so the project of building that consensus will not be accomplished by the pro-life movement in its current form. It will be accomplished by something different, by something that defies, like basically the problem is, the pro-life movement has entirely harnessed itself to one of our two political parties in a hyper-polarized era. And as long as that's how it is identified, it will never be more than a fifty-five forty-five
0: issue. Well, did no that matter. did that movement marry itself to the Republican Party, or did the Democratic Party kick them out over the past twenty
1: years? No, I think it was a mutually reinforcing. Both subject. things
0: can be true. Yeah. Both. <laughs> things
1: right. Be true. My 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 point is that like you have got the hand of cards you got right. So if you're thinking about pro-abundant life, you're thinking about doing things that ab- uh, that defy coalitional politics. So I'm not saying run to the arms of the other party. I'm saying defy the current. Like surprise people for crying out loud, right? With the strange bedfellows and alliances that you make. Still stand up for the things you've been standing up for. What you just said, Ben, about the laws, et cetera, right? But what is needed is not what either candidate is offering right now, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. So for those
1: of you struggling with the question of abortion, I just think it is more complicated than some leaders would have you believe right now.
2: What's the, what's the, it just for clarity's for clarity's sake because someone w- may mishear you on that.
1: Well, it's, no, I'm sorry. It's more complicated in the sense of like, I am I am pro, so conceding that you're pro-life. Therefore, you must vote Republican. You might be in sin if you don't. Right. It is more complicated than that. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah,
2: so you're not um, saying the question of life. Is yeah, yeah.
1: No, not saying that at all. Not saying that at all. It's it's more like if you are a sincere pro-life person. Right? Like it's not, it's not the open and shut. Well, this is the conversation ender that frees me of having to think about any other issue in the election, which is how a lot of Christians are treating it. Um, and I just don't, again, what, what we're, what you're trying to get in the long run will not be accomplished by either party right now, as it currently constructs its politics on this issue. Um, So, I mean, so, yeah, so it's, it's, so I I just think like that just means there's space there and we got to create space for something different, I think. Right. So we're going to take a break and then we're going to take a couple minutes to wrap up. And we're back. Last question for you guys. Any for I know many of us have already voted <laughs> just because of the nature of today. So in some in some cases this episode is arriving too late. But for those of us those of our listeners who have not, any last advice you would give?
2: Uh, pray and and vote your conscience. Right. It, it, there's a sense in which you you probably you probably know everything you're going to know at this point. Right. Um, and so it's you you just have to make a decision that you commit to the Lord and uh acknowledge him and trust him and he will he will order your steps and and so take heart in that yeah
0: um i think for me i think of of psalm 146 particularly as i I just heard somebody preach well on this um it is the yeah it starts with praise the lord praise the lord all my soul then moves on to put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. Um, the psalmist goes on to bless the Lord. And then he ends with the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless by the way of the wicked. He... But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. And so there's a sandwich here. Start with praising the Lord. Don't trust princes because I know you're a people that could struggle with trusting in princes. And the final part is this is why you shouldn't. One, princes die. But two, only the Lord can do these things as, they're, as they ought be done. Only the Lord can do these things perfectly. Um, So put your faith in him. And so that's my exhortation. Like, you know, John Piper said, vote as if you're not voting. I mean, we need to take this seriously. This is important, but our hope isn't here. Our salvation isn't here. And even if everything goes the way that we think it will, or we want it to, uh, because because of the fact that we live in a fallen world, it's still not going to be perfectly just or right or good. Um, And so I I think we've got to hold all that stuff with an open hand and continue to circle back to, to the fact that Christ is the one that is going to redeem all things. That's my exhortation.
1: Oh, ben, you should have gone last. Mine is a lot uh, less, uh, yeah, mine is a, is a lot less uh, uplifting than that. What I'll say is, on this podcast are three people who I think are going to vote for three different people in this election. As far as I can tell, I won't reveal, but as far as I can tell, like, we're all going to vote for different people, <laughs> and um, so that's, like, and, and I just want to, I want you to know that, like, we are brothers in Christ, and we love each other dearly, and we're so glad we get to do this podcast together, and I hope that's the spirit in which all of our brothers and sisters out there go vote um yeah and I think, go ahead well the, the, the one thing i'd add to that is that i was telling a friend the other day i feel as if your vote is as important as your vote is the prayer you say while casting your vote
0: mm.
1: right in other words if the prayer is i just voted and i am absolutely certain about the outcome i want that vote to deliver and i feel great about it then you probably got to check your heart and your prayer, right? Like it's more like a vote with a prayer, a prayer for restraint for the person you vote for and their excesses, the a lamentation of what you had to give up by voting for that person. Mm. right? And That's actually, if I, you, you hear me critique the folks on the right a lot and our brothers and sisters on the right a lot. And I think the thing that irks me the most is how, how certain they are. It's, it's what, it was what Piper was saying, right? Like it's, it's, because it's almost like because we have our guy happens to not have great character right now, I have to jettison my commitment to character, because that's how full throated of my support has to from has to be as opposed to no, nope, I'm voting for him. But here's this big asterisk next to my vote. I vote in sorrow as much as with hope. Right. That's certainly what I got to do when I vote for Joe Biden. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm quite used to that now. Right? Here's my nuance. Here's my conflict. Here are the things I pray won't happen because of my vote. Here are the pray, things I pray will happen because of my vote. And so I would just urge folks, whoever you vote for, think what's your version of that prayer, right? Like what's your version of that asterisk you put in their vote? It'll probably help you sleep better at night, right? Rather than having to sort of gin yourself up into justifying that your vote was like an absolutely unambiguously positive thing. It almost certainly was not.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things you touched on there that is so helpful is, is as we think about the unity we're supposed to have in in Christ, it's like, do you identify more with a brother or sister in Christ who's of a different political persuasion, or do you identify more with somebody who's not a Christian who is of the same political persuasion? And I think that's a good, that's a good check on whether you're holding these things too tightly. Like it, Nick and I are pretty different. And yet like what we have in common supersedes all of that by leaps and bounds. Like I will, I will worship the Lord in eternity with Nick. Um, That means far more than the politics here. So that's the other Is We've said unity, unity, unity of the church a lot. Unity doesn't mean um, unanimous agreement. It does mean loving each other despite having wildly different opinions on politics. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Well, so, uh, we're not quite sure when we're going to post another episode. It may depend on what happens Tuesday and how long it takes to figure that out. We will try <laughs> to come back with something that reflects on the results, so the results as we get them or as we know them. But until then, thank you to all of you who are listening. do you want to go ahead and pray us out?
2: We're glad to. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have of living in this country, the privilege that you have given us for you determine the the boundaries of our habitation. And we thank you, Lord, for Um, what you call us to do in your word, when you instruct us to pray for our leaders, for all those in authority over us. And so we do, we pray for the president, uh, our current president, Donald Trump, we pray for um, this election and ask for your grace and blessing upon the election that we would have another peaceful election, uh, that we not take that for granted, particularly when we see so many countries that are racked and roiled with corruption and even violence at, at these moments in their political lives. And Lord, should there be a change in uh, the presidency, Lord, we pray for a peaceful transition of power, and we pray for the president that is to come. We, we pray for these things, asking your blessings upon them. Uh, I, as my brother Ben said a moment ago, not because our lives depend on it, it don't, they depend on you, our, 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 our souls are safely in your hands, no one can pluck us out. But we pray for these things because you have ordained government. You've ordained government to do your will, to punish the evildoer, to reward the just. Um, and, and we want and long for that to be done properly in our country so that, Lord, uh, righteousness might flourish, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. And so, Lord, preserve the unity of your church, preserve the witness of your church, Preserve the unity of this country, we pray, and um, yeah, make make Christ gloriously appealing um, through your people as we try to bear witness to Him in this season. Do this for your glory, we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Amen.